The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 10, if you can believe it, of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We have a jam-packed episode this week, so I'm not going to... I'm going to try to be not quite so long-winded in the first segment here, but first of all, I want to thank Neil Scott for submitting that intro beat. This was... Let's see, what's he described this as? This has emerged from experimenting with groups of three and five, and it is a not especially danceable 37-16 cycle of notes. Um, the gear that Neil's using is a Yamaha Recording Custom 8x14 snare, 18x22 live custom oak bass drum, Zildjian 14-inch A Master Sound hi-hats, a Sabian 21-inch raw bell dry ride, and it was recorded with a pair of Coles overheads in a recorder man configuration, and there's also a large diaphragm condenser on the outside of the bass drum. It was recorded at Crooked Room Studios in York, England. So thank you, Neil, for sending in that beat. I have a few others that have been sent in, but please, if you have anything, any beats you've been working on, any any grooves that haven't found a home, submit them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what gear you're using, what the concept might have been behind the beat, and we'll feature it in an upcoming upcoming episode. All right, so I'll have two things to talk about. Well, three things in the news section. So what's new today? First up, I announced this last week, but I want to remind you that stickshed.com is live. That is a website dedicated to buying you know, a simple place for you to purchase drumsticks, mallets, accessories, brushes, all that stuff. It's mobile friendly. Um, it is owned by Drum Factory Direct's parent company, which is the owner of this podcast, Stratosphere. So yeah, all the content there we created in-house. I just put up a new lesson there. There's a handful of lessons and resources. So head over to stickshed.com, set up an account, make an order, let us know what you think. Two new records I've been checking out this week that if you haven't seen or listened to yet, you might want to. First of all, friend of the show, Mark Juliana, just released his new album, The Sound of Listening. Mark is fresh off of a pretty long tour with St. Vincent on the Daddy's Home record, and now he's out leading his own band. So I think he's got some dates in Europe coming up very soon. Make sure you check out what he's got going on. This record is really cool. I've always loved his his combination of electronic and ambient and acoustic jazz it's a really really nice record so check that out that is the sound of listening by mark juliana and another new record i've been checking out recently is by the legendary modern jazz drummer jeff tain watts it is a trio record it is a saxophone drums and bass record it features mark turner on sax and orlando le fleming on bass it is called mysterioso if you're not hip to jeff tain watts this is a good place to start um he's I mean, he changed the game, and he continues to be absolutely amazing. So it's a really, really nice record. Go check that one out. Jeff Tain Watts, Mysterioso. All right, now let's wrap up our discussion on snare wires with the entire Pure Sound catalog. Okay, let's dig into some Pure Sound snare wires. We have 12 models. I believe this is the entire catalog. So um, we're going to start with the Concert 12s and work our way up all the way to the Super 30. Um, yeah, so let's start with the Concert 12. So the Concert series, as you might expect, is designed for orchestral snare drums, but they sound great on drum set snares as well. There are two models. There is the 16-strand. No, there's a 12-strand there's a and there's a 16-strand. Um, here's what they'd, how they describe these. They're designed for snare drums. The Concert series snare wire is crafted with strands of specially formulated stainless steel alloy for a subtle snare response that doesn't choke out the sound of the drum. These snares may be mounted by strap or string. If you look at these, they are the coils are a little bit looser than your kind of standard snappy snare. So let's check them out. And this is the Concert 12. I should say I'm testing all of these on one of our Drum Factory Direct 5mm thick steel snares. 
I've done all these wires on that exact same drum. A little bit more about that drum later, but you know, tuned every every time the drum is tuned exactly the same. I tension the wires just below the point where they start to choke, so it's consistent tension. So hopefully, you're just hearing differences in sensitivity and density and sustained. Um, all right, let's go to my personal favorite is the Concert 16. I love that model wire, especially for recording. It may not be the best thing for gigging if you need to produce a lot of sound, but you, if you need controlled snare sound, which for me recording, oftentimes the last thing I want is more snare buzz or more snare sound in my recordings. These Concert 16s are really, really cool. So if you haven't tried those and you have a studio at home, you might wanna give these a shot. They're also great on, on lower volume acoustic gigs. And obviously they're good for symphonic use as well. The next model, is also a 16-strand wire, but it is a unique design. They call this the Equalizer Series. It's a 16-strand wire, but it's on the end clip that would fit 20 strands, and they just left four of the strands out of the middle. It is designed for snare drums. It is uh, It features medium gauge wire. They're saying best for rock and funk. I think theoretically, they're, the, the concept is to not have wires going through the center of the bottom snare head, which could theoretically choke the sound a little bit more. So it should be a little bit more open sound, but with controlled response. So let's check it out. This is the Equalizer 16 strand snare wire. All right, now we're going to move into the standard number of wires, which is 20. That seems to be the most standard these days, and Pure Sound has one, two, three, four, at least there's there's five models that we're checking out here. The first one is kind of the ground, you know, the, the baseline for their, their basic wires, which they call custom series, which has a nice high, high end, I think it's a phosphor bronze end plate. Medium gauge wires, evenly spaced. They have the tighter coils that are kind of more traditional for drum set drums. So this is kind of your baseline 20 strand custom series wire. Next up is the Custom Pro series. This is also 20 strand steel. Custom Pro has a different end plate with, with creases towards the corners, which elevates the, the end plate off of the bottom head just a little bit. And they also come with a specially designed grow grain strap with a pin. So you can quite you can very easily pull the pin out and take the wires off if you need to change heads or change out the wires. So it's a quick, quick install, quicker install, and these elevated end clips you know, what's it supposed to do? Let's find out. So this is the 20 strand custom pro steel. This model is a custom pro, but it has 20 brass wires. Can you hear a difference? Let's take a listen. Now 
now we have a 20-strand blaster series. What is the difference with the blaster series? It looks like the end clips are a little bit smaller. Uh, possibly the coils are a little bit tighter. It's you know it, it's it still has medium gauge wire. Um, they're designed according to Daddario for increased snare presence. So this is the 20-strand blaster series. Here's the most unique 20-strand model that Pure Sound offers. This is the Twisted series. So this has technically 20 strands, but there are two wires coiled together for each strand. So I guess it's a 40-strand if you wanted to actually count the wires, but it looks like 20 strands as groups. So you've got a tight coil for each 20 that's comprised of two wires. Should obviously be, you know, a increased snare sound. Um, they're saying these snares equal strands at the highest sensitivity, even at lesser tensions. This is a cool one, so check out the 20-strand Twisted series. Now we're moving up to the 24 strand wires. First up is the standard custom series 24 strand steel. Now we have the Custom Pro 24, which again has the elevated end clips and the special pin to allow you to quickly install the wires. And now here's the brass version of the Custom Pro 24 strand. Okay, the biggest um, snare wire system that PureSound currently offers is the Super 30 series, 30, 30 strands. It is, again, it's medium gauge wire of tightly coiled snappy steel. Um, if you look at the end clip on these, there's a little bit of, of extra room on the ends, so the, the, co the coils are maybe pushed together slightly tighter than on some of the other ones. But, you know, 30 strand Super 30s, let's check it out. All right, I know that was a lot of snare wire demos, but hopefully that kind of educated your ear a little bit about maybe which which number of wires and maybe some of these different types might be more appropriate for you. For me personally, the Concert 16s I'm using a lot in the studio. The custom, the regular custom 20s are my go-to for just all-purpose use. The um, I really like the Blaster. I think it gives me just a little bit like a stronger snare sound without it rattling too much, which is cool. The Twisted 20 was really kind of neat. I like that extra density of snare sound. 
So yeah, in the Super 30, I think is wide enough to give you that, you know, longer bit of white noise, but not super rattly like a 42. So yeah, hopefully this helps you educate you on some new purchases. If you want to try something unique, check out that equalizer. But we have all this stuff in stock at DrumFactorDirect.com. All right, that is it for snare wire demos. Let's get to our featured artists. This week, Tom Went is interviewing legendary Brazilian jazz drummer, composer, band leader, Daduca de Fonseca. Daduca has a new record coming out next week. They'll talk about a bit more here, and I'm going to let Tom do the intro. So this is um, Daduca de Fonseca. We want to welcome everybody to uh, this new edition of the Drum Candy Podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here, and we have one of the great masters with us today, one of the great masters of uh, both the drums and of Brazilian music and Brazilian jazz, the great Daduca de Fonseca. Welcome, Daduca. Thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you very much, Tom. It's great yeah, to man. be here. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking forward to talking with you. And... Um, I, I wanted to start today by sort of going all the way back with you. You were born in Rio de Janeiro, correct? Yeah, I was born in Rio a long time ago, in 1951. <laughs> 1951. That's, that's, that's great, man. So, you know, just so everybody sort of understands, you know, you and your journey, how, how did you come to the drums? How did you first start playing? Well, uh, since I'm... Um, I was very little, you know, like uh, under 10 years old. And a, a neighbor, you know, used to play, you know, a father of uh, a friend of ours used to play brushes, you know, Mr. Ville. And I was fascinated by, you know, he used to play, you know, with that song, Jeremy Hitcherson, you know. Uh, uh -huh. So I had this single, and uh, I always, you know, look at that brush, and I was like, wow, I want to play like that. And all the time in class, in the classroom and everything, I was always, you know, playing with my hands in the where I was supposed to be writing, you know, taking notes. <laughs> and... Uh, when was uh, when I was thirteen, in 1964, my mother and my brother, you know, went to downtown Rio. And with a friend of mine that's not with us anymore, is Marcos Palma, and he's uh, he's is the brother of the great drummer João Palma, that we live in the same street. And João Palma was the one that played with, uh, in my opinion, the best albums of Antonio Carlos Jobim. And he, al he also played with Brazil 66, you know. And uh, he lived a long time in the United States. And we were neighbors, so I learned a lot from him. He was my idol at the time. And uh, he was already a professional drummer. And uh, Ipanema at that time was completely different. You know, in the 50s and 60s, was completely different than is now. Mm. Also, my mom, Norma, my mother, loved to listen to, to Chet Baker, to Louis Armstrong, to Nat King Cole, to Frank Sinatra, Jerry Mulligan, and so many others, you know. She loved jazz. Mm -hmm. and Ray Charles, and at the same time, she used to listen to Antonio Carlos Jobim and João Gilberto and uh, Johnny Alf and Dorival Caymmi and Luis Bonfa and all the great Brazilian greats, you know. So I grew up with that sound, you know, the jazz and the samba that's already the Brazilian rhythms that already in my blood, you know. And since I was a kid, I want to mix, you know, in equal parts, you know. Not one serving the other, you know, but mix in equal parts, you know, and make, uh, make something mixing with those two cultures, you know. And mm -hmm. that's, I'm 71, that's what I'm still trying to do until now. <laughs> so, 
in a, my mother, Norma, was very responsible. She's 93. Wow. She's 93, and now she learned how to talk on FaceTime. <laughs> and uh, we talk every day, you know. Wow. And uh, so... Uh, and she, uh, she she met uh, Chet Baker. She met in France. She used to be, you know, in the fifties and sixties. You know, a very independent woman. What was very uh, rare mm-hmm. in the United States and in Brazil was even more because, like, being a South American macho country, you know, that kind of vibe. Yeah. But she worked, you know, because my father was, uh, uh, Jean Luis, was an Air Force pilot for the Brazilian Air Force. Oh, wow. And my mother always worked her whole life, you know. She always had things to do. And mm-hmm. uh, she was very independent woman at that time, what, which was very rare, you know. And um, she helped the whole family with that, you know, doing her work. Yeah. So I'm very proud of her, and uh, I'm a big fan of her, you know. Yeah, and that's that, wonderful, man. That's helped me to develop my passion for the jazz, you know. And then, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, Jean Palma, the great drummer, Jean Palma, that plays with Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66 and Jobim. And many other ones, Frank Sinatra record, and uh, I went. Uh, his house was his parents' house was right a hundred meters from my house in Ipanema, mm-hmm. and my brother and myself used to be the best friends with his younger brother, so we went there almost every day to listen to jazz to Wynton Kelly, to Thelonious Monk, to Coltrane, to all, you know, Philly Joe, Jimmy Cobb, to Elvin Jones, Tony Williams, to hear all that music. And his house, uh, parents' house, was a meeting point for all the Brazilian musicians that that time they were older than me, you know, like uh, Edson Machado, the great drummer Edson Machado, Mm -hmm that innovated Brazilian jazz, you know, uh, on the drums, and Don Romão and Raul de Souza, Milton Banana. So I, mm. when I was uh, 15, I met all, all those guys that were my idols, you wow. know. And wow. they still, you know, they, they, most of them, they're not with us anymore. But uh, I used to go there and with my brother, and uh, with Marcos, the brother of João Palma, that lived there, mm-hmm. and we listened to music all the time. And by mm-hmm. coincidence, his sister, João Palma's sister, was the fiancé of Dori Caymmi, a great composer, ah, you know. Yes. So Dori was always there, too. So we used wow. to hang, and uh, I used to play soccer with Dori, when I was a kid in the beach, Ipanema Beach, you know. So, and uh, after a, a while, I said, I had a girlfriend, and uh, I said, I want to go to the United States to play with American jazz musicians and to blend both cultures, you know. Yeah. And my plan first was going to Boston because I'm all my friends, like Claudio Roditi, Vitor Assis Brasil, Zeca Assunção, everybody, Claudio Caribe, a fantastic drummer that's not with us anymore. <laughs> my God, the time flies. No? And they all went to Boston and then from Boston to New York. They came gotcha. to New York. And I said, let's go to Boston. And then my girlfriend at the time said to me, no, let's go straight to New York. Is that what you want to do, right? (laughs) So don't be afraid. Let's go straight to New York. I said, okay, because she wants to study uh, communication also at the Hunter Hunter College, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, okay. So we came to New York and... uh, 
right after I arrived here, you know, I arrived in December of 75, December 18 mm. of 1975. I was 24 years old. And 24 going 25. And uh, right a couple, three months after, you know, I got invited to do a recording session in Los Angeles. So a friend of mine called me, that piano player, Aloysia Guiar, that's also not with us anymore, a great piano player, called me, a childhood friend, and, you know, have the, uh, a big production, not his album, you know, but a big production album, and he record, he invited me to be part of the album. So I got there to L.A., I just arrived in New York, you know, and I said, my God. Then I had a chance to meet, in the recording, it was like, a, for instance, Harvey Mason. Mm. I played two tracks with Harvey. He's playing funk. I was playing Bayon. Wow. And really, you know, the things work out. He wanted to buy a wow. symbol of me. At that time, I was completely <laughs> broken, and he wanted to buy a symbol. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> this, is, this is one I don't want to, <laughs> to sell. And, uh, I know that feeling. And, and, but uh, Frank Rossolino, Raul de Souza. Wow. And uh, what's the name of the bass player that used to play with uh, Victor Feldman, too? I mean, many. Uh, Chuck... Yeah. Uh, Many great musicians, all the top, you know, of the L.A., you know, music industry was there. And it mm -hmm. was great. I say, like, uh, I love at that time, I love L.A., you know. Now I have yeah. a daughter and two grandsons, one grandson and one granddaughter living there, you know. Wow, that's wonderful. And my daughter, the older one, Alana, from my first marriage, mm -hmm. she writes music you know she graduated suny purchase she writes i was first married with an american lady and she mm -hmm. alana writes music for walt disney's among many movies wow you know that's amazing she's doing so well uh, say, i say yeah. i i say at least someone in the family make really money with music you know <laughs> because she's like a millionaire you know she's writing so yeah. much and for her, my man. younger daughter, my daughter with uh, Mausha, you know, you know Mausha. Uh, yes, Mausha, the, the singer. My younger daughter, Isabella, you know, she she also graduates from SUNY Purchase, upstate New mm -hmm. York, and is yes. working at Birdland as a sound woman at Birdland. Oh, wow. And she works wonderful. with Ron Carter, with Bill Charlap, with every. She worked this weekend. She was working with Steve Smith in the Birdland Theater downstairs and mm -hmm. with uh, a Brazilian, you know, great composer, Marcos Valle, that was singing there. Ah. Upstairs, she was working downstairs and upstairs, you know. Wow, and, uh, man. Uh, she's busy. That's, she, that's great. Yeah, man. she's a great, uh, brilliant sound woman. And wow, uh, she's 24 years old, you know. Wow. But she has Good some years, yeah, you know. And uh, yeah, she she's not she doesn't like uh, they Alan and her are the best friends, you know. My older daughter and Isabella are best friends, but she doesn't she likes more to mix live uh, music, and she also play drums. They blow, both play drums, but Isabella has wow. a band play drums. She just was in a tour for two weeks, you know. Okay. So I'm very yeah. proud of both of them. But getting back to my uh, thing, then I was in L.A. I did this album with those guys, and I came back to New York, and I said, man, I was 25 years old, more or less 24, 25, and I said, I made it in New York. You know, that's it. I made it in America, you know. <laughs> so I went out and bought my dream set of drums, a Gretsch, you know, that right now is in Brazil. <laughs> at my brother's okay. house. I have a couple of drums there when I go there to play. And uh, and I said, man, I can't believe it. I make it. And then after that, you know, 
I say like one year or more than one year with hardly any work, you know? Oh, man. It was like, wow. It was either <laughs> rice or beans, you know, not rice and beans, you know. But <laughs> but I don't regret. It was a great time, and I learned a lot, you know. Uh, That's great. A man. good friend of mine, a great drummer that uh, at that time divorced, but he remarried. Is now the husband of uh, the great singer composer Joyce. Maybe you know Joyce. Yes. His name yes. is Tucci Moreno. He came. I yes. invited him because uh, he, he divorced. You know, his wife left him. I invited him to live with me and my girlfriend. I had a two-bedroom apartment in the West Village, so we lived mm. like uh, many years together. And then Joyce wow. come here to the United States to open a, a club, you know, in the Upper East Side from the French Mafia. I used to play there too. <laughs> and wow. they fell in love because he was playing there. And then yes. soon Joyce was living in my house too. <laughs> and then Joyce went to Brazil and he followed her. He went to Brazil uh, and they married for, I don't know, 40 years more than since yeah. uh, wow. 1977, 78, something like that. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Wow, man. You know, I, 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 I wanted to ask you, in, in your early years of playing, both you know when you were still in Brazil and then after you got to New York, what were some of the things that you were practicing, that you were working on as a drummer? Could you talk a little bit about, about that? What are some of the things that you were, you were doing back then? Well, uh, Tom, I'm like self-taught, you know. My yes. practicing uh, was uh, watching at the time. You know, Bossa Nova was really strong in Brazil. At that time, 1965, 64, 65, when I started to play. And uh, by watching my... I, those are the time drummers, you know. I I play without stop. I used to play like 12 hours a day, but I never mm. study, you know, formally. I always, mm -hmm. you know, develop my own, you know, way of practicing, and that's what I do, mm -hmm. still doing now, you know. At yeah. the time, I used to play yeah. a lot with the albums, you know, in the... Yes. And the uh, gramophone, right? And I put the albums that I love and I play with a lot. Not only Brazilians, but uh, 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 all the Brazilians and the Americans, you know, like uh, Now He Sings, Now He Sobs, Chick Corea, and uh, McCoy Tyner Inception, and John Coltrane, mm -hmm. and Miles, you know, and Winton Kelly. And I play in uh, West Montgomery. You know, uh, I play with all of those, you know, I have a big collection and many, Wayne yeah. Shorter, a lot, you know, all those old Obla, sure. Blue Note albums with uh, Elvin Jones and uh, Richard Davis sure. and some, you know, and McQuay mm -hmm. Tyner. And yes. it was my way and at the same time, you know, doing gigs at uh, 16, my brother played bass, used to play bass, and he had a girlfriend mm -hmm. that plays piano, beautiful blonde, uh, you know, and great piano player. At that time, it was very unusual, you know. It's not now you see Eliane Elias, Eliane Elias, right, playing, and all those, you know, but in Brazil, it wasn't very common. And we made a big uh -huh. success. Uh, like we had that bossa, bossa jazz trio in 1966. Yeah. We play on TV all over the bossa nova shows in Rio. 
we were kids, you know, mm. playing all over town and on TV too. Yeah. My way, my, but uh, going back my way to practice was uh, doing things that uh, think about the idea and doing things that uh, uh, think about practicing things that I, I want to do that come to my mind, you know, mm-hmm. not like uh, sure. One time, Michael Lauren, a great friend from Drummers Collective, where I used to teach mm-hmm. for almost 20 years, he told me, Duduka, some people, they know the rudiments and they play, but some people, some other people, they don't know, you know, uh, written, but you play all the rudiments, but, <laughs> you know. Yes, you do. You know, <laughs> and uh, I never, you know, formally studied you know, I'm not. I'm not yeah, proud yeah. of that. I'm just saying what's happened to me. That's yeah. No, I, my I, life, I think you know? I, th- I think it's a great thing to be. Yeah, to be self-taught is not is not a bad thing. I mean, you you've developed your own personal style from that, which yes, is wonderful. I I I did it, and I still pursuing. You know, to develop more and more, mm. and to get better and better. So I love practicing. I practice whenever I can every day. You know, and I love practicing. And uh, sometimes, you know, uh, for endurance, I practice some things that are difficult, you know, supposing the snare Mm -hmm. or something that are difficult, that demand, you know, strength, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do that because as you're getting older, you know, you need to keep that the muscles and everything, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, when you when you when you first got to New York, and you you first started working, who were who were some of the first American jazz musicians that you worked with when you got? Okay, here? when I got here, you know, uh, the Brazilian jazz scene was more or less dead. You know, we had like oh, okay. Ayrton. Ayrton Moreira in L.A. doing his thing. But here in New York was very quiet because the Bossa Nova boom had vanished, you know, at that time. Now it's back again. But at that time, Mm -hmm. in 75, 76, 77, was so. I play, you know, we had like a, a handful, maybe two hands, you know, at the most mm-hmm. of Brazilian young Brazilian musicians that wanted to do something here, and we together we're looking for American musicians, you know, and to blend, you know, and play with them. Like uh, one guy that loved Brazilian music and helped us a lot was uh, Walter Booker, the great bass player. He loved Brazilian music. We used to go to his house. You know, when I say we, it's like that uh, group of musicians and stay there, you know, the whole night playing and had a chance to meet uh, great musicians and play with great musicians there. I had a chance to meet Jimmy Mm -hmm. Cobb and Larry Willis, the great uh, late Larry Willis piano player, and many, many other ones, you know, at uh, Boogie Woogie the studios that Walter Booker had on the Upper West Side. And... Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, the first guy that... Uh, I remember also Steve Grossman. I don't know if you heard about... Uh, he used to play with Elvin Jones together with Dave Liebman. Absolutely. Wonderful yeah, tenor player. Uh, yeah. and, uh, he loved Brazilian music. And uh, I remember going to his loft on 6th Avenue and playing and... And then, you know, it's like a snowball. You start to meet people and start to go ahead. Sure. And then you start to record also, you know. I remember that I started recording in the the 70s, like uh, 77, 78. I started my thing recording because Mm -hmm. the market was very good for that, you know. The labels, yeah. you know, and they pay well, they have money, and the 
vinyl at that time, before the CD. And I started recording around that time. And uh, I had a very good memory, you know. Now, not anymore. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a very good memory that uh, I hear the music and I memorize a, a, a lot. Uh, some difficult arrangements, you know. I still mm -hmm. can do it. Just take more time now. And... Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, it one thing you know, and then uh, it start as putting bands together. My first band together was I put together was in 1980. We went uh, the call Brazilian Brazilian Express, you know. Yes. In 1980, but before that, I had recorded with different people, you know, with different bands. Sure. And uh, in 1980, I put my first band. I remember that uh, was the great late Dennis Irwin on bass. Oh yes, he yeah, loved. He loved it. it was his encyclopedia of Brazilian music, you know. Yes, and we are the best yeah. friends. Those are the first friends. When I came to New York, I met uh, Dennis, uh. and I met Billy Drews, and I met Joe Lovano, yeah. and Kiso Queen, and Jimmy Haddad, and Dick Oates. And those are the cats, yeah. and maybe I'm forgetting some, that we're still friends until today, you know. And uh, and that was great, you know, and started playing with them, you know, yeah. with Dennis. And that was the first, uh, Dennis was, was playing with Blakey, and he said, Duduka, I'm going to whatever he was going to, and said, why don't you put a band together, you know, and I meet you in Texas, because we stay like one month wow. playing Texas. Uh, we stay in the, wow. uh, we playing that in Austin first, Austin city, uh, city limits, you know. And then yeah. after that, we play somewhere else. And then we stay three weeks in Houston playing in a place, you know. That time, then the gigs take very long. And it was, a, I put a quartet together, which was, uh, uh, Claudio Celso, great guitar player from Brazil, and a piano player that just arrived from Brazil, Paulo Maurício, you know, arrived from Brazil. Okay. He was playing with Elise Regina, the great singer there at the time, uh. and uh, he arrived from Brazil, and uh, I put together, we rehearsed the guitar, piano, and drums, all, you know, and we took there, and Dennis, as you can see, uh, could read everything, so we took we took the oh, yeah. uh, we went to Texas and uh, we started playing and then we did Austin City Limits first and my English you know yeah. is is not uh, that good now but at that the time was really bad <laughs> I remember that after playing the first or second tune at that place Austin City Limits you know I said. Good night, everybody. And yes, because in Brazil, you say boa noite when you're arriving and boa noite when you're leaving. Yes. But, but in America, leaving, you say yeah. good evening and good night when you leave. Good evening when you're arriving. So yeah. I didn't know that. So good night, everybody was like, what the hell? You just played two tunes, you know, <laughs> a couple of songs. And it uh, was a big thing. So we went to Houston. And they invited us to do a TV program for Houston PBS. And we did. And mm -hmm. one year later, they sold the program to all the CBS all over. That was 1980. You know, 81, they sold the program. Wow. We did in 1980. In the end of 80, they sold Brazilian Express. And, you know, it played all over the United States, you know, with Dennis, you know. Wow. And all the cats, wow. you know, uh, Paulo Maurice and Claudio Celso. So that goes back uh, how many years? Uh, 42 years. 40, 42, 42 years, years ago, yeah. you know. And I remember one yeah. thing that uh, I don't think is an interview, a Zoom interview. I don't need to say, you know, uh, that is not going to okay. sound good. <laughs> We will wrap up our interview with the Duca next week, but for now, let's get over to another rudimental lesson. 
This week, I'm sharing some ideas that I came up with for using the double paradiddle with different accent placements. Let's talk about some creative ways to play the double paradiddle. The double paradiddle is four singles followed by a double, either right, left, right, left, right, right, or the opposite, left, right, left, right, left, left. Most often, the accent is placed on the first note. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. But you don't have to play the accent on the first note. So what about playing the accent on the second note? Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. Or the third note. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. Or the fourth note. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. Let's try stringing all those together. So we're going to do each variation four times. Starting with the accent on the first note, and then we'll move to the second, third, and fourth. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, right. Repeat it. Right, left, right, left, right, right. Now shift to the second note. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right. Left, left, right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right. Third note. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. Right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right. Fourth note. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, 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 right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. Once you've worked out how to play those four accent placements, I would suggest that you just improvise some phrases using those four options. Think of it in three, four, and just each time you repeat, try some different accents. So one and two and three and two and three and one and two and three and one and two and three and one and two and three and two and three and one 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 so on and so forth. Now, since there's six notes in a double paradiddle, it also fits evenly as triplets. If you think of it being two quarter notes length of triplets, that fits perfectly. Triplet, triplet. Second note, triple it, triple it. Third note, triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it. Fourth note, triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it. Now try improvising with those four accent placements in the triplet subdivision. One, two, three, and triple it, triple it, triple. So on and so forth. Now, let's create a phrase that combines two double paradiddles and then one single paradiddle. We use a 16th note subdivision, so one E and a, two E and, and a four E and a, and that'll repeat on the opposite hand. One E and a, two E, three E and a, four E and a. So one E and a, two E and a, three E, four E and a, one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. Now we're going to accent the first and third note of the double paradigm. One, two, three, and four and. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. All right. Now for the tricky part, displace those accents by one sixteenth note. So now we're going to start the accent on the second note. So it'll be second and fourth note of each double paradiddle, and also the second note of that single paradiddle. So it'll be one E, a two E, and a three E, and a four E. The one E, and a two E, and a three E, and a four E, and a two, three E, and a four E, and a four. Now let's go first and third, four bars, and then second and fourth, four bars. One and two and three and a four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Repeat it. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Now displace it. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, 
Now, the key is to not change the sticking. It's always double paradiddle, double paradiddle, paradiddle. It's just the accents to get displaced. Now, that's just one option. You can come up with a million variations by different accent combinations, accent placements, displacements. You can also move that single paradiddle maybe to the beginning of the measure or in, in the middle of the two double paradiddles. So there's a lot you can do with a double paradiddle to just find some more creative, interesting options that aren't just always accenting the start of the double paradiddle. Have fun with it, take your time, use a metronome. See you next time. All right, now let's head over to Hawthorne Drum Shop to check out a vintage WFL Porto Pack drum set. What is this oddity? This is a WFL something or other. What do you call this? <laughs> it's funny, I put this on Instagram and I said, WFL port Porto Pack. And then you're like, what is this? <laughs> I mean, that was more of a like, holy fish, what is this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why you never assume anything on social media. Because um, it was like, well, I would gig with this. It wasn't like, please tell me exactly what you just put in the <laughs> caption. I didn't even respond. Well, people, uh, they ask all the time, what is this? Well, here's the title. It's literally right in the title. Um, th this like is like, makes me very excited. This is a, they called it a porta pack outfit. And it's just a three piece kit, bass drum, rack tom, snare drum. Um, and it, I think it was made, I wouldn't call it like a traveler kit, but it was like, Portable, something that like you didn't have a lot of pieces that gigging drummers could use in the time period. Um, I haven't taken anything apart yet. Um, WFL would stamp drums with dates. Um, I have not looked inside to see the dates, but this is a 50s kit. Um, History-wise, the guy got it from got it from an older lady whose husband played in a polka band and passed, and he just kind of had it sit in his basement for a while, didn't use it, so he passed it along. It looks but, like it's in shockingly good shape. Like, it needs a cleaning and everything, but it looks... I'm not going to touch it. Yeah, it's pretty um, awesome. All nickel hardware. Uh, this Black Diamond Pearl was talking to Joe from Wooden Weather about this. It's in a picture. Because we're both big WFL fans, and this is, like, the, our, the best Black Diamond Pearl pattern. Um, WFL and then Slingerland, like, early Slingerland Radio Kings had, like... The flake pattern kind of changes over the years, but this is just, like, the, it nailed it. What's the difference? Is it bigger? Bigger chunks? This is like, sm it's smaller, I think. It's hard to tell, man. Like, if you look at the top of the bass drum, I can't describe it. Just, it to me, it just looks really good. Um, this bass drum size, and you guys can't, probably can't tell, is a 2212, which is my favorite be um, bass drum depth size. I think I talked about that. I don't know if the Rogers one came out yet, but that's my favorite depth. Really punchy, um, 8x12 Tom. It's, is that not, I should not even measure this. I think it's an eight by 12, but it has large lugs, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, and with then- a, With a clip on mount, which is to be noted. Yeah, and you know what? This is actually like a good one. The Slinger little one's not that great, but you can actually get this one in like a usable position. And then this is a porta pack snare, five by 13, maybe five and a half by 13. It's got the WFL classic snare throw off on there. Um, this is a, not the original, uh-oh. <laughs> Cut! Oh. <laughs> okay. Cut! <laughs> so this is not the original arm. I literally just noticed that and it came out. So we'll have to, we'll have to work on that. But 13-inch snare drum, a lot of, you know, this was, that was kind of uncommon. They made a, a jazz combo that was a, thir the thir uh, excuse me, a 13-inch. But, and I think that they might have made a, Las Vegas snare that was a 13? I can't remember. I think it's kind of funny, like, that's not gonna save you any space in your car or in your trunk to no, make it a 13. No, it's not, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm gonna fiddle with that. I, I don't really dig 13 inch snares myself. Um, some people like them, but just as kind of like the pack, this is, you know, pretty cool to me. I, I obviously wish it would have a floor tom because not a lot of people play this configuration anymore. Yeah, that was something I noticed as well. Like today you'll see more often a floor tom, snare drum, bass drum. Yeah, no rack tom. No rack tom. But I guess if you just want to pick this up, put it in the back of your van. I'm waiting for the guy to come out with the, with the configuration that's rack tom, bass drum, floor tom. No snare. No snare? <laughs> you want to talk about progression. I mean, that's kind of like 
alt indie, you know, indie country, <laughs> alt country. There's no snare. <laughs> I'm really pushing the limits on that. Six lug. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six. six slug without, a, without currently without a, an arm. Um, what are the shells? Three ply with maple ma- rings? Uh, they're ma- mahogany. So I'm sure somebody's going to say, well, I had a WFL kit that had maple shells. I've never seen one that wasn't mahogany. So three ply poplar, um, maple, mahogany poplar, mahogany. Nice uh, maple reinforcement rings. These are probably brass hoops, which is nice. Um, the nickel hoops is really nice. Yeah, really just and brass hoops sounds so good on toms they really do and you, you know even on snares um Capskin head yeah so that had like a big old pet like felt pad on it and the guy's like i checked it's you know it's all good behind the felt pad and it's been patched but it's fine it's it's cool um this is an original calf on here um i can't read the logo there but that's in good shape no holes or tears it does look like somebody kind of brushed the claws, uh, the nickel off the claws, because sometimes they would rust, but it, you know, it doesn't look bad at all. Um, really cool. We'll love love all everything about this. Caskin on the bottom? Yeah, it's got a hole in it though. Um, so does that now. Well, you know, <laughs> here's what happened is, you know, the throw off went, went off. Um, these are unoriginal wires anyway, and I can just snip this, but this, has the you just put a up uh, you can't see, you can't see that but there's a screw in here attach that there and that, that functions but that's a caskin resonant head you have to look at the inside of this kind of the, the, the mahogany looks kind of interesting ludwig in the 60s you know most people you know know that they painted their shells because they were concerned about what the inside looked like um but if you look at like a white interior of a ludwig now yeah, not not too, didn't age well. Not too good. <laughs> yeah. I heard theories that they painted no the wrapped finish, not WFL, but Ludwig. If it was wrapped, it would be mahogany. If it was lacquered, it would be maple mm-hmm. underneath the the finish. Yeah, I've so heard you that could too. get mahogany, poplar, maple. A lot of them are like that, actually. We'll have people who ask us, you know, on like an old '60s Ludwig kit. You know what's the, the the ply layout, and I always hate answering that because you got to pull the head off, and you're like, well, it kind of looks like this or that. Um, but that was pretty common. I've also, you know, you hear a lot of things that you know they were basically using what whatever they had at the time, whatever they could get in. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard balsa wood. I don't know if that's true. I'd imagine that would probably be an inner ply, but nobody really knows. Um, it's the magic. You get a good one, you keep it. <laughs> Speaking of Ludwig, I know we were talking about WFL. Did come with some symbols. Um, these are, and you can't see the stamp, but they're Ludwig Peisty. There's various stamps. This one has the three stars, Ludwig Peisty Chicago. These are made in Germany. It's a lower grade symbol. Um, I think it was like an, it's like a silver alloy. And it's 20 and it's 12. Nickel silver. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, this is a really thin symbol. I was playing yesterday. It's actually kind of cool. But they kind of have the Peisty style red stamp, the size on the inside, which is neat. These are, like, becoming more popular. I don't know. You know, you could be able to buy this for 25 bucks. But I have a set of these that were so beat to crap, like they were just destroyed, and they sound so good on, like, certain recordings. Yeah. I think that's why people, like, that's not, like, I mean, it's way better than the B8, but... Um, sometimes I've played one, we had one in a couple weeks ago that was like, it sounded like a Zildjian and it, you know, obviously not even close, but it was pretty good. And then these are a set of hi-hats, same thing, got the Ludwig, Peisty Chicago stamp, three stars. Yeah, these are barely touched because they're not bent up or anything. That one's a little bent, but these are, this is a little, these are a little tinny. I haven't really demoed these, but I don't think this kit saw a lot of, a lot of play. Um... Most collectors know what this, this is Mike's, you know, we're having some kind of like off script talk. This is his favorite hi-hat stand. Mike, tell me what you like about this hi-hat stand. Um, I know you can go on and I on I would forever. like to throw it off a bridge. That's what I would like to do. So this is a Ringo stand. <laughs> um, it has the WFL stamp on the foot plate, but Ringo played one of these. Uh, I think it's a model 1123. Um, that explains why he always just had sloshy hi-hats. <laughs> you know, 
The flat base stuff is not my favorite, but people like stuff to be period correct. I, I like Spurlocks better, but I will say that they, before they did like the, kind of like the rubber tips, they would, you know, use one of these. Mm. The button, the button's on there, but. Wild. Yeah, pretty wild. It's a cool, cool kit. Again, what's the model? Porto Pack. Porto Pack. Porto Pack Outfit. Porto Pack With Outfit. With the Porto Pack Snare, which we will look at later. Uh, yeah, uh, very cool. Very cool kit. Let's get to some of your listener questions. First up here from Sleep When I'm Dead, Power Toms, yes or no? Cut them down or get new bearing edges and keep the aesthetic? That's a, um, I think that's just totally up to you. You do have to consider how much how much room can you cut them down depending on where the hole spacing of the current lugs are. It might just make it impossible if the holes are already kind of you know in a spot where it would just be, you know, your, your new bearing edge might be too close to the hole. So that's something to consider. Consult your, your local expert drum builder or repair technician before you do any of that. I personally would just leave them. And if they need to have the edges touched up, do that and just have a nice set of power toms um, and then you know you can always buy a vintage kit with shallow drums and not a lot of money it might actually cost you just as much to get them cut down as it would to just buy a decent used kit or a vintage kit with shallower toms so i would keep them as is and then just seek out some other options here's one from dirk bindle i think that's how you would say it what is your favorite blue note or ecm drum sound well they're they're very different i think ecm uh, I immediately think of Jack DeJohnette and the Pictures album. I think that's an absolutely beautiful drum sound. It's just super clean and, and clear and has a, a vibe, an ambient kind of otherworldly vibe to it. So pretty much anything Jack DeJohnette played on that label is my favorite sound. As far as Blue Note, that's just so wide-ranging. I mean, Elvin Jones with, you know, with Wayne Shorter, it's an amazing sound. Art Blakey, I think, kind of defines the Blue Note sound, Hank Mobley records with Art Blakey. Um, Billy Higgins, you know, so again, the label Blue Note to me just means a little bit warmer and more saturated and just kind of a, a, a natural sound. So it's more like pick your drummers, Elvin, Blakey, Billy Higgins, and then I'm just getting into some of the Tony Williams stuff from that era as well. I think you can't really go wrong with, with those any of those records. Um, yeah, that's my picks. All right, last one. This is kind of an impossible question, but I want to just see what I can throw out there. This comes from Rick Drum 71 What is the best snare drum head? I think the best snare drum head is the one that gets the job done for you. I think you can't go wrong just to, for, for kind of learning what your drums really sound like with a single-ply coated, whether that's a G1 or an Ambassador or a texture coated by Aquarian, that kind of gives you the most kind of normal sound for your drum, but um, it's not the most durable thing. So if you place really heavy, you might, your your best snare drum head might be the Emperor X or the Power Center Reverse Dot. So for me, it's just what head gets me the results that I need for the gig. And I don't have the same heads on all my drums. For the, for the gigs I need to play quieter, it's single-ply coated. For the gigs that aren't really smacking, it's a power center uh, reversed, reverse dot. So, yeah, that's an impossible question to answer. But if you want to get to know what your drums sound like in its fullest range, and then you can adapt, single-ply coated. All right, I do still have a few more listener questions that came in a few weeks ago, but please send in over your questions for the show to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit me up with a DM at the Drum Factory Direct Instagram page or my page, Mike Dawson Drums. We will get them into the show. All right, let's move on to where we at. It is time for our warehouse pick of the week. I mentioned this earlier in the episode, all of these snare wire demos that I've done the past three weeks have been on the same exact drum, which is this big hefty five and a half by 14 steel, you know, black nickel over steel. It has a, it's a, it's a big old three, it's a five millimeter shell that's been milled down to three. So you've got five millimeter thick, like re-ring, built-in re-rings, and then three millimeter thick in the center. I mean, it's comparable to like a cast, I mean, super heavy cast steel or, I mean, kind of like a, a bell brass kind of vibe. Hard hitting, powerful drum. We have a bunch of these shells in stock. 
that are undrilled for lugs. You can drill them for whatever lugs you want. You, know, you can do eight or 10, whatever configuration you want. It does have a hole for the air vent. But other than that, you can build your own drum. The bearing edges are already you know, cut into it. The snare beds are already cut into it. So all you have to do is drill for the lugs and the throw off. So those are over on drumfactordirect.com. And we will also be putting these two drums that I had built out for these demos. Um, they're going to be going on sale as well. So if you want to kind of hold one of those, let me know. Um, probably just email me, uh, drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. We're still sort of assessing the price point for that because it's not a cheap shell. It's a, it's a heavy cast steel shell. But yeah, those two Dembo drums are going to be up for sale. But if you want to build your own, go check them out. That's the five millimeter thick uh, black nickel over steel uh, drum shell. Oh, here's a demo. that is it for this week's episode please head over to itunes or spotify or youtube wherever you're consuming this show write a comment make sure you like share and subscribe give us a review five star rating just spread the word we want every drummer around the world to be participating in a part of the show it is for you it is our community so yeah if you could do that that would be much appreciated other than that we're going to let um neil send us off and we'll see you next week